Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and here on the Monday edition of The Yard, I went to bed early last night. I, I took some time off this weekend, finally got everything finished up with the, with the book. There's always a little, uh, as they say, rat killing stuff that has to take place there at the end. You know, got to write, update the bio, write an intro, a synopsis, all that kind of stuff. Got all that stuff done. Today, I'll do the final read. Go through and answer any editing questions and just kind of make sure we're good to go. And then uh, goes off to layout and the head to the printer. Keeping my fingers crossed a little bit, we can get this thing late October. Not optimistic, though. Probably early to mid-November. But that's the, uh, that's, that's the problem with the supply chain these days. Not a lot of people in America want to work, unfortunately. So a lot of these companies are... You know, having to kind of scale back production is because of the fact they can't find qualified workers. And also, too, as a result of that, you've got uh, some supply chain issues. you got, you know, it's difficult to get all the materials you need to get things going because they're not always in production. It's part of life we're living these days. More importantly right now is uh, the remnants of Hurricane Ida that are rolling through Mississippi. Hope that you all are safe. Hope that all of our friends down in Louisiana are safe. I know there has been some uh, catastrophic damage down there. I've only heard of one death so far, and hopefully that's where it stays. And one is too many. There's no doubt about it. So hopefully that's the end of the loss of life. You know, our, our immediate concern here in Mississippi, of course, uh, not, you know, having to deal with the things they have in the south, you know, with storm surge and, you know, 150-mile-per-hour winds, but, uh, you know, potentially some tornadic activity here in the next 24 hours. And so... Hope that you guys are safe. Hope that you guys are taking precautions. I've had to get out and do a few things uh, around the property today just to kind of make sure we don't have a lot of water accumulation because, you know, we're expected, what, uh, what five to seven inches of rain in the greater Starkville area. I want to share with you guys, too, you know, I spent, uh, spent a lot of time in Louisiana and uh, moved to Louisiana, I guess, officially. You know, I was back and forth a little bit in my younger years. Uh, but I moved to the state of Louisiana back in 1996, I guess it was. It's towards, yeah, 96. Got through Christmas and uh, moved to Lafayette, Louisiana. Had a great time down there. Learned what Boudin was. Heard people talk about uh, Boudreau and Thibodeau regularly. It's a great time. Worked at, the, at Lafayette there on Johnson Street for a while. Really liked Lafayette. Lafayette's a town of a little over 100,000 people. Or it was when I was down there. Of course, uh, Louisiana Lafayette's there. Or the University of Louisiana, as they want to be called. Not officially called that. But, um, but yeah, it was a good time. And, and there's a lot of good people down there. It's a little bit cliquish. You know, I guess, you know, if you're not from the area, you know, it takes a little while to kind of get in. But, uh you know, a lot of fine people there, and uh, spent some time working in Opelousas and uh, with a man named Mr. Charlie Bordelon, who was a prince of a man, and worked with a guy in Lafayette by the name of Reven Desitel. That's right, Reven Desitel. Great guy. But, uh, you know, you, you begin to develop some friendships down there and some relationships, and, uh, you know, there's a toughness down there that's a little bit maybe unique to the area. And, uh, you know, bounced around a little bit with Natchitoches for a while. Of course, that's where Still Magnolias was filmed. And I uh, had a great time. I, I could have stayed in Natchitoches forever, man. I really could. I love that little place. You know, the Northwestern State is there. The only problem with a place like Natchitoches is, like, you know, if you want to go buy a shirt, it's like an hour away. If you want to go buy a nice collared shirt or something, you've got to drive to Shreveport or Alexandria. But Natchitoches is a great place, great food, great people. 
Sometimes it's a little tough getting across the Cane River. I think there's only three bridges across the river, so it gets a little backed up at times. But um, Natchitoches and that whole pocket of Louisiana, a lot like Mississippi. I lived in a pecan orchard, and I was able to walk to work today, so most days, which is kind of cool too. But I uh, moved to Baton Rouge, and I tell you, we were down there for Katrina. And, uh, you know, it was just a different deal. And so I, I, maybe, you know, I guess we've all lived through that, and you're very sensitive to this, and the fact that this new storm hits on the 16-year anniversary of the you know, Katrina landing is, uh, you know, scary for a lot of people, and the winds for this one actually uh, higher sustained winds this go-around. You know, my hope is the infrastructure down there has been improved to the point that uh, – you know, we're not having that same type of fallout. I remember having to go in. I was in, um, I was in the loan business back then, and I remember having to go in to help the uh, RM that was in New Orleans to go inventory those stores. And it's like something out of a movie, man. It's like uh, it's like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. There's no no electrical services. You're going down there, and there's people wandering the streets, and you don't know if the next person's going to come up and try to rob you or anything. It was. Uh, it was an experience I'm glad that I had, but I don't really want to have again. And so my hope is, is that we can uh, maybe not descend into anarchy this time. That's the hope, and I hope that you all are, are absolutely safe. Uh, the hurricane also uh, making some changes to the Mississippi State schedule. Mike Leach was scheduled to meet with the media today at around 2 p.m. That does not appear to be taking place. And a lot of it's because Mississippi State canceled classes and all activities for today. Starkville School District did the same thing, including virtual learning. It is a complete shutdown. Now, I don't know about businesses in the area, but I know that we're not having school. And so as a result, we're not having Mike Leach today. There was talk we may do a Zoom call. And then there's talk that we might actually meet with him tomorrow, like a post-practice type deal. That has not been determined. So once we have that information, we'll share that with you over at jeanspage.com. I'm sure you'll be able to find it on Twitter and everywhere else once it's finally established. And many of you will be looking for that is a lot of the SEC coaches will, will have their weekly press conference today as it is game week. So if you don't see Mike Leach today, you'll know why. Hopefully we'll have a chance to speak to him in person uh, tomorrow. It's part of the deal. Uh, we did have some college football games uh, over the weekend. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll kind of look ahead uh, to what Arkansas brings to the table. A little bit later this week, we'll uh, you know we'll kind of sit down and preview the week. Should be a good week for the SEC. But again, the immediate concern right now is uh, everybody's safety. There's just so many people out there that I know that. Um, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me one second. I know there are a lot of people that. Um, You know, I read the things on social media, and maybe because of the fact that I live in Louisiana and South Louisiana, maybe I've got a little more vantage point to this thing than other people do. There are a lot of people down there to say, well, you know, I don't understand why they don't leave. And, you know, there is some people that decide, you know what, I'm just going to stay here and see what I can, you know, pillage or whatever. There is that element. But there are a lot of people down there that just simply have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to evacuate to. They don't have the resources. A lot of people down there in Metro New Orleans, especially those that live in some of the impoverished areas, don't have transportation. They depend on public transportation. And so there's just not a lot of places for these people to go. And so I apologize for that. I had to settle the dogs down. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that just don't have the resources that perhaps you or I do. 
And there's a lot of judgment. People say, well, I don't feel sorry for them because they stayed. Well, what if you don't have any choice? Or what if you're thinking, you know what, if I leave, the, you know, people are going to come in here and t- take the things that I have, and, and, and you just decide to stay. And so I just ask, you know, just for a little bit of grace there. There are a lot of people out there that just obviously maybe don't have the ability to, to flee like perhaps they would like to. And, of course, there are some people, too, they are just like, you know what, I'm just going to ride this thing out. I'll be okay. It's probably a bad decision. I had some friends and uh, you know, friends of friends that died during Katrina and uh, made poor decisions. But it's not always as cut and dry. Speaking of cut and dry, Bulldog Burger Company, cut and dry, best place to get a hamburger in the Golden Triangle and beyond. No doubt about it, a great restaurant-quality hamburger available to you and your family. You can get a lot going on there. You can start out with the spring rolls, which I always recommend. I think it's great. It's a great way to get the meal started. Not too heavy, but also very tasty. Kind of get you going, get you excited about what's next. Those generous portions, whether it be hamburger and french fries or the BLT salad, the sweet heat chicken sandwich, or so much to choose from. Had some friends that shared over the weekend. They tried the pimentology ad bacon for the first time. Life changer. Absolutely is. It's great. Go by and have one today. And on your way out the door, get that chocolate shake to go. You can't beat it, man. A dessert to go, is that, that's, that's next level right there. That's next level dining right there, being able to get your dessert to go. Three locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and Lake Harbor Drive in Ridgewood. That's the brand new one. Doing exceptionally well. A lot of people have reached out and shared good reviews. Always happy to hear it. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, a lot to talk about today. I guess the first thing that I want to run through is uh, let's look at some college football stuff over the weekend. And I want to talk a little bit about this IMG game, too. It's, uh, it's insanity what's happened with this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's just, it makes no sense to me, for sure. All right, so college football scores over the weekend. Uh, the first game, a Power 5 game. How cool is that? Illinois and Nebraska. It was very, very sloppy for much of the first half. Illinois wins 30-22. Belima uh, out there making some things happen. And good for him. I think he fits better in the Big Ten. I think his style of play, his, uh, you know, his recruiting you know, strategy probably works a little bit better in the Big Ten. This is a guy that's been able to produce some linemen. They like to do that three tight end set. I just think that fits. That gave us some trouble, too, at times. But I think he fits up there. And I, I think this whole thing with Scott Frost is about to blow up on us. I think it already has. And what's interesting, too, you just kind of laugh to yourself and think, you know, Scott Strickland dodged a bullet in that deal. Could you imagine the Bull Gators at the University of Florida if you had Scott Frost up there turning in this kind of stuff? Now, to be fair, Nebraska is not the program it once was. I used to have that walk-on program that basically enabled them to kind of skirt the, uh, the 85 scholarship limit. And so that's part of the deal, Right. Now you're not getting the same players you used to get. You used to could uh, kind of Vanderbilt the thing a little bit. And then Nebraska's just not the brand that it once was. You know, when, when they beat Florida, what was it, 95? It's early 90s, but uh, or mid-90s. You know, you're like, man, Nebraska's going to be doing incredible things. And they did. And Tom Osborne retired. And then that uh, 
that walk-on program went away and they haven't been the same. And Scott Frost, you know, he, he's had one winning season as a head football coach. You know, that's the things that I look at. It's like we talk about these up-and-comers. you got to get a guy like a Dan Mullen on the way up. It's true, you do, but this has not gone well. You know, Scott Frost, his first year at Central Florida, goes 6-6, six and six, and then they lose the ball game, so they finish 6-7. and seven. The next year, they go 13-0, and 0, and then they claim the national championship, if you recall. He gets to Nebraska, 4-8, and 5-7, and seven, and then 3-5, and five, playing, you know, that Big Ten schedule last year. And then they're 0-1 to start. So, is it fair to grade Scott Frost just on the fact he's had the one winning season because Nebraska's been a train wreck for a while? Well, I would say no initially, but we're in year four. And so I think it's pretty safe to say, you know, even though the AD has come out and said he's not coaching for his job, that he is. I mean, how many years do you give it? You can say, well, you know, Steve, it was a COVID year last year. You know, got, people got fired during the COVID year too, you may recall. Jeremy Pruitt, Derek Mason, you know, Will Muschamp. A lot of people got fired because of the COVID year. That, that didn't stop anybody from making a change. And, you know, again, we talk about Nebraska is not the uh, – not the job that it once was. You know, let's look back here. You know, they, they beat Florida in 95. That was the Fiesta Bowl. And then, you know, Tom Osborne put together a couple you know, decent years after that. You know, obviously, they, uh, you know, 97, they go win the uh, the Orange Bowl, finish 13-0. If I'm not mistaken, Scott Frost is on that team. Then they bring in Frank Solich. And uh, Frank, you know, it's, it's crazy how Frank just kind of disappeared. Everything is great. You know, I mean, they lose to Ole Miss in the Independence Bowl because they went for it on their end of the field back in 2002. That probably should have been enough to fire him right then and there. But, uh, you know, he, listen, this guy had, you know, 11 and 2, I mean, excuse me, 12 and 1, 10 and 2, 11 and 2, 10 and 3 seasons, and then boom, he's gone. And basically, not really a factor in major college football after that. So after Solich is fired, they bring in Bill Callahan. Four years, two winning seasons, ends up five and seven. He's out. They bring in Bo Pelini. Bo and the cat, right? And Bo puts together a pretty good stretch. Nine and four, ten and four, ten and four, nine and four, ten and four, nine and four, nine and four. But it's like, hey, you know, we want more. We got to make a change here. Bo Pelini's out. They bring in Mike Riley. Six and seven, nine and four, four and eight. And he's gone. So they bring in Scott Frost. And so it's like, you know, they haven't had a 10-win season but once in the past decade, and that was in 2012. You start running the numbers here, and they've had as many losing seasons that they've had winning seasons um, this decade. I guess it's even, it may even be worse than that. It's a one, two, three, four, yeah, five losing seasons. So we're, we're basically, this year, we'll kind of determine what kind of decade it is. They've won one bowl game since 2014 so since 2000 goodness since 2009 they've only won two bowl games let that sink in for a second nebraska used to have what the greatest streak in in the history of college football for consecutive bowl appearances it was ridiculous started in 1969 didn't miss a bowl game till 2004 year one under bill callahan put together a great streak 2008 2016 they go to bowl game every year and they've lost, uh, you know, four of the last six. So it's not the it's not the job that it once was. 
And maybe Scott Frost isn't the coach we all thought he was. Or perhaps maybe the Nebraska job was a much more difficult job than he thought. They thought, oh, he'll return the, you know, he'll return the pride because he played there. He'll get some of the donors up and going again. You know, it's just it's not like it was in the 70s and 80s when Nebraska and Oklahoma kind of ruled uh, that, that part of the country. If I remember correctly, maybe you guys, maybe some of you old-timers can remember this, but uh, there was an issue years ago when Nebraska ran the um, – the option, the triple option, is that the slope of their field was different than everybody else's and found they had to fix it. You know, it's like because they were literally running downhill against you when they ran wide, they're coming downhill because of the slope of the field was wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm 99% positive that's correct. But it's a different job. It is. And, again, I think, you know, Scott Strickland, it's sometimes it's best you not get what you want. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens with he and Dan here in the weeks to, in the weeks and years to come. But uh, this whole thing with um, Nebraska going to be uh, a disaster, I'm afraid. UCLA, 44-10 winners over Hawaii. No surprise there. San Jose State, 45-14 winners over Southern Utah. Fresno State, 45 winners over UConn. And UTEP, 30-3 winners over New Mexico State. Now, we will have – a pretty good stretch of college football this week because this is technically week one right that's what they call it it's, it's week zero is stupid uh so anyway so we get uab and jacksonville state wednesday night and then there is a host of games on thursday you know, thursday temple rutgers west illinois ball state buffalo wagner i mean it, it's just i mean it's like there's you know 20 games or more on thursday and then we get some Power 5 football uh, on Friday. It'll be back up a second. We actually get some on Thursday night, Ohio State and Minnesota. That'll be a nice little Thursday night deal for us. And then Friday, you get, you, you get some ACC play. North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest kicks off their season. Duke plays Charlotte. Colorado's in action. You know, so you got a lot going on. So, basically, if you can survive – to Wednesday, you got college football every day. And then pretty soon, we'll be talking about uh, pro football. It's a pretty good stretch here. So, we, we've made it. I know that was a big thing. Everybody's like, oh, we made it. You know, it's a little different deal for us, I guess, because I think many of us are still basking in the glow of a national championship in college baseball. But we got to get ready because football's here. It's going to be here Saturday. It's crazy to think about that. A lot of people are worried about the weather. Listen, it's going to be gone. Long gone by then for us. And you've got an amazing grounds crew here. They will have that field ready to go. Put a lot of money in that field and that turf. That staff does a tremendous job. So will it be a little bit damp in spots around campus? Yeah, probably so. But, you know, the main thing, we just need some sunshine between now and then and, and then give that awards-winning ground crew just some time to work. They need a weather to cooperate with them a little bit. But – um yeah, we'll be in good shape. I'm not. I'm not worried about that aspect of it. I, I really think we're going to do a good job and, and have uh, have things ready to go. It's just amazing to me to think about, you know, what's next. You know, once we get to the storm, and, I, and let me just kind of give you the breakdown here. Not supposed to rain again till next Wednesday. Once we get through tomorrow, where's a 90% chance of rain? We got partly sunny on Wednesday, and then sunny Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The high on Saturday, 88, with low of 61. Could be a nice night for football. And remember, we kick off at 3 p.m. Central. So uh, if you're making your way to town, 
Please plan to get here early. Have a good time. A little bit of an update, too. I, I've checked on this, and I've talked to a lot of people, and, of course, nobody's willing to go on the record with this. But I know when the LSU stuff came out, you know, people kind of panicked a little bit. So they're going to be checking, you know, for uh, – you know, vaccination status. And, of course, LSU plays on the road this week. They're playing at UCLA. So they still got a week to figure this thing out. And then with all the stuff they're dealing with with the hurricane, we'll see if that holds. But I, I, I talked to maybe half a dozen people here in the last three to four days. There's no talk about that at Mississippi State. There's absolutely no talk about Mississippi State requiring vaccination status uh, for the ball game this weekend. And I've heard the same about Ole Miss. They're just, you know, that's not going to happen. And so, now that may change in the weeks ahead. But there are a lot of people, I think, that kind of panicked unnecessarily. And, like, they take to the message boards like, oh, well, this happens. I'm canceling my tickets. I want my money back, whatever. Relax. South Carolina has also come out and said they're not going to do vaccination status. And so, and it's incredible, that didn't get nearly as much media play. And I joked about that on Twitter, too. That didn't get nearly as much coverage as the LSU thing did. Now, granted, you know, the LSU situation is a lot different. You know, the Saints are having to, you know, do a lot of things. And so I think a lot of that just kind of boils down to, uh, you know, some government control down there. And I'm not going to pass any judgment against that. But you need to be prepared that if you come to Davis Wade Stadium this weekend, it's probably going to be business as usual when it comes to entrance. Now, does that, does that mean there won't be some bumps in the road, some kinks to work out? Getting people in and out of the stadium, yeah, it's first game for everybody, right? First game full capacity, two years. So, yeah, there's going to be some things that we have to deal with. Let me remind you of a couple things, too. We talk about leaving early. These event management people that, uh, that do such a nice job for us, a lot of those people can't give you directions, okay? I mean, they're, they're not, they don't work for the campus. They don't work for the university. They kind of work indirectly, you know, through a contractor. And so they're doing the best they can. But a lot of those people, basically, their, their job is to make sure that you have your parking pass and you're going into the right lot. You know, they're not ambassadors. They're not, it's not the welcome wagon or anything where they can tell you, oh, yeah, you need to take, go over here and take this left, whatever. So I'm just let me encourage you, as always, kind of plan ahead and know where you're going to be. Because if you're dependent on those people to help you, as nice as they are, they just aren't going to be able to tell you. They just don't know. And so that'll help tremendously too. Now, will the grass lots be open? I suspect so. But at the same time too, as we get closer to Friday, you know, we'll have uh, some greater clarity on that. Just don't know how well and how quickly it's all going to drain. So just, again, prepare ahead of time to kind of understand. I, I always recommend too, you can always go park in the research park and then take the shuttle. And there are places around town where you can park and ride. And so, always something to think about. And, uh, you know, the, the junction is, should be rocking. You know, and so it's going to be the first time in a couple of years that we've had, uh, you know, something that feels like normal a little bit for football. And, again, if you want to wear a mask, then you absolutely should wear a mask. If you don't feel comfortable being around people that, that aren't wearing masks, then you should probably stay home. It is a decision that I think that you should make for yourself. And, um Nobody should judge you for it. If you just don't feel comfortable doing it, if you think it's a risk to your health, then you absolutely should stay home. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. I know you want to be here, and we want you to be here. We also want you to be safe. I don't want to see any, any of you fine folks get sick, ever. I don't. I know it's part of life, but uh, I'm eager, like you, to get all this behind us. But 
look ahead to Saturday and expect kind of a normal game day entrance situation. And, you know, we had some deals uh, here a couple of years ago where things get backed up. And next thing you know, there's a lot of people that get involved and we basically just start rolling people through. And so encourage you to always plan ahead. Don't wait until 10 minutes for game time and then try to go rush the gates. And all of a sudden you can probably treat yourself to an ad free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, you miss, you know, half the first quarter because you couldn't get in. Just my personal opinion. It's up to you. You know, always watching an injunction, I guess. But uh, excited to see, you know, what happens with all of that, to say the least. Let's take a little time and talk about this Bishop Sycamore IMG game. And some people would say, well, Steve, you know, why is that important to us? Well, it's just, it's almost like, it almost feels fraudulent. So if you're unaware about this, IMG down in Bradenton, Florida, I have been there. Uh, matter of fact, when they first opened, got a chance to go down there and cover a uh, seven-on-seven tournament there, tour the facilities. It is incredible. It is absolutely incredible. And for years, they didn't want to let them play and be sanctioned by the state of Florida because it's basically an all-star team. You know, they basically recruit from around the country, and you have a lot of players that go there. And... Um, try to improve their stock. Former Mississippi State Bulldog Powers Warren is a product of IMG. So IMG is considered arguably the um, the best the best high school football program in the country. And so they played a team called Bishop Sycamore over the weekend. Now, let me give you a little background, if I can, about Bishop Sycamore. Okay, so last season, which was their first season, and they're not sanctioned by the state of Ohio. They're from Ohio, but they are not a member of the Ohio High School Activities Association. They went 0-6. There was only one game the entire year that they scored more than once. They got to be 35 nothing, 33-6, 31-8, 35-8, 37-14. And then they played IMG Academy 56-6 down at Bradington. Now, you'd say, well, Steve, that sounds just like an uneven matchup. Well, it is. But also, too, Bishop Sycamore is not even a real school. IMG is an actual place. I've been there. I can confirm it. Bishop Sycamore is an online charter school in the state of Ohio. They're in Columbus. And so they got picked somehow, some way, to play as part of this ESPN high school, you know, kickoff challenge. 
and it was an absolute bloodletting, and it was completely a safety issue. Bishop Sycamore falsely represented themselves and said they had several Division I prospects on their roster to try to get into the game. They even mentioned that certain players were on their roster that weren't on their roster. And then they go play on ESPN. And they get absolutely destroyed. And now everybody's wondering how this, how this happens. How does this happen to ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports? So they have partners that help kind of put these games together, right? There's, a, you know, there's, there's always people that are out there. It's the Paragon Marketing Group that kind of find these marquee matchups that they think will turn dollars. What's interesting is that Bishop Sycamore played a game on Friday night and then took on IMG Academy on Sunday. Two games. Two games in three days. How did anybody think that was a good idea? And there are some reports out there that, you know, the, the Paragon Marketing Group said they would have canceled the game if they had known they had a game on Friday. Well, isn't that something that we should probably have handled prior to this? You mean to tell me you schedule a game and you're not aware of what else that team's going to do? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I think it's embarrassing for everybody involved, with the exception of IMG. IMG you know, absolutely rolling through this thing, and then they basically caught off the dogs there in the second half, which was uh, very, you know, sportsmanlike of them. But how does this happen? I mean, it's like you begin to ask these questions. It's like, you know, we have seen some really good games over the years. I get, you know, South Panola played Hoover, I guess, several years ago. We just had MRA play Oakland, and uh, Oakland got the better of them. But, uh, you know, MRA, one of the best teams in the country last year. You know, so it made sense. Hey, this is – okay, people will watch this. And then you've got IMG out here against a team. You know, forget the fact that they played two games in three days. This is a team that went 0-6 last year and was outscored by almost 200 points on the year. You mean to tell me there's not another deserving team out there that could have played IMG that was willing to play IMG that could have benefited from having some national exposure? These people got absolutely duped. And there's many respects, I think they may have been a willing partner. I mean, how do you not do your due diligence? And they're getting a lot of national criticism for it, and rightfully so. But it's basically like, okay, we just got a bunch of kid guys together and just put a team together, basically a club team, and then we're going to go play this. And you know there had to be some money involved, right? Had to be. Had to be some type of money or some financial arrangement involved for the teams. You know, so where does that go? I mean, it probably should be an investigation in all this. This is an absolute fraud. I don't know what your feelings are about this, but uh, I just think, you know, that at some point the, the adults in the room have to do what's best for everybody, and this wasn't it. Yeah, yeah, they're outscored 227 to 42 last year. It's just absurd, absolutely absurd. Even like the commentators in the game were absolutely kind of going off and talking about, you know, this is a safety issue and, these guys can't compete. They don't have the depth. You know, so what's next? You know, I mean, it's like what needs to happen kind of moving forward? Well, obviously there's got to be some checks and balances because here's the thing. Nobody is blaming Paragon. They're blaming ESPN. It's your branding. It's your name. 
And just so you guys know, too, that game that they lost, they actually played the game on Thursday. Thursday. And so the game that they lost was also a blowout. It's crazy you think about that. Crazy. They lose 38-0 against Archbishop Hoban of Akron on Thursday and then turn around and play IMG Academy in Canton, Ohio, and get beat 58. So they've been outscored now. You know, what, what is that, 96 to nothing? Is that right? It's ridiculous. And the coaches involved in all this are ridiculous. Now look at their schedule, which is also interesting. They're going to play a team from Paintsville, Kentucky. They're going to go to Duncanville, Texas. They're going to go to St. Edwards uh, in Lakewood. I guess it's in Ohio. They're going to go to DeMatha, which is a powerhouse there in Maryland. Play St. Thomas More in Connecticut. They're going to go all the way out to Liberty in Henderson, Nevada and play. And now all of a sudden, uh, it all makes sense to me. This is why you play those games, right? This is why you go out there and sacrifice the health and safety of these young men so you can go to Vegas. You can go to Dallas. You can take all this night. Now, listen, I get it. I understand everybody's trying. Every, there's a startup somewhere, and everybody's got to take their beat and take their lumps, and you you play a lot of games that are kind of, you know, play for pay. You know, I mean, how many times does some FCS team come to the SEC and just, you know, take an absolute tail whipping just for a check? I, I get it. But this isn't even a real school. Not even sanctioned by the state of Ohio. And they're on the ESPN. They're on the national network. It's a, it's a shame. It's an absolute absurdity. So we'll see what happens with that. I suspect that you're going to see a lot of things change. I don't think that this uh, Bishop Sycamore story is going to go away. I think they've kind of been exposed. It's the scene, you know, and listen, I don't know these people at all, but it, it may be a situation where these are all just good people trying to make a living. But if we're going to start doing that, I mean, think about what's happening in the state of Mississippi. If we can't have school, you know, like if we go to online learning, we can't play football. Right? I mean, that's the rule. If you can't have class, you can't have football. And then here you've got a school that has no classrooms, but yet they're playing football. I mean, the rules should apply to everybody. And of course, obviously, if you're not part of the state association, the rules don't apply to you. But, you know, there needs to be some type of parameters put in place, you know, to ensure this is the you know, kind of uniform for everybody. I mean, look how many high school games in the state of Mississippi got canceled last week. And then these guys are playing on national television. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Time to move on. Time for today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's CloseWithBlair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler is a mortgage professional. It's not some fly-by-night company. He works with Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five mortgage lenders in the United States today. Blair in the top 1% nationally in loans closed. This is a guy that knows how to get things done. You may be thinking, you know what, Steve? I've always dreamed of home ownership. I've always wanted to get off the hamster wheel of rent. Now you can. And you know what? Maybe if you're not in a position at this point to do that, Blair can help you prepare. He can help you get your credit in a situation where you're ready to go. He can give you a plan. Great close rates, and he can do single-family residence. He can do investment properties. He can do secondary homes. Maybe, maybe do a 
home improvement type loan, anything that you need involving a mortgage, Blair can do it. Blair's also a bulldog. I believe in doing business with bulldogs whenever possible. I don't, I don't think there's any question. I'd much rather do business with bulldogs when I can. Blair's a season ticket holder, has a place here. Got it's been uh, involved in Mississippi State Athletics for a long, long time. Go to closeofblair.com today. Mention to him that you heard the ad on Boneyard, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a $300 value just by listening to the show. Just mention it to Blair. He'll give you the, uh, the discount there. I think it's important to, to understand what, what's happening with rates, what's happening with our country. There's never been a better time to get involved with all this. Let me give you Blair's phone number so you can reach out to him directly. Great friend of mine, known Blair a long time. I believe in doing business with people that have ethics, and that's Blair. 601-500-2344, 601-500-2344. But easy enough. Just remember, closewithblair.com. He'll work to get your loan approved, get you guys rolling. There's just not a better place to do business, closewithblair.com. All right, let's talk about some contemporary Christian music. I've had a lot of comments about this. I mentioned on the show that we were going to do this. My friend Ed Colthorpe reached out to me. We had a discussion. He had uh, made a post on Facebook. I I responded, and he goes, hey, how about a top 10 list of these guys? So we're going to do it. Top 10 list today of a band called DC Talk. Initially, DC Talk was uh, D.C. is in Washington, D.C., because uh, the three members of D.C. Talk all went to Liberty University there in Lynchburg. They eventually changed D.C. to stand for Decent Christian Talk. I'm a huge D.C. Talk fan. I'm still very sad that they don't have uh, new material. What's interesting, they put out five albums, and then four of the five were nominated for Grammys. Only the first one, the DC Talk, the self-titled original album, wasn't nominated for a Grammy. They actually won a pair of Grammys in addition to that. Won a handful of Dove Awards. The Michael Tate, uh, K. Max, Kevin, and Toby Mac have all went on to great solo careers. But I believe they were at their best when they were together. So top ten list today, DC Talk. This band means a lot to me. They were, I'll be honest with you guys, I guess in the uh, early 2000s, there was a stretch there where this is like all I listened to. I mean, for months. Because I felt like I got fed from it. There was so much positivity, you know, in the music. And there's some reassurance. You know, our, our country and our world was going through a big transition, of course, after, um, you know, 9-11. And I just felt like it just kind of provided me a bit of comfort. And you know, one thing I want to share with you guys, too, that, um, you know, I don't talk a lot about faith. I, I don't know why. Maybe I don't. I apologize for that. We've had, uh, you know, the dogs in the house today because of all the, uh, you know, the rain and weather. So it's, uh, there have been some, yeah, so it's a, it's a party around here for sure. So, but, you know, I used to, guys, I used to keep, uh, you know, f- uh, four or $5 bills in my pocket and uh, in my wallet just because uh, I spend a lot of time in North Baton Rouge. There's a lot of impoverished people up there and a lot of homeless people and, um, There'd be times I'd go to a gas station or just kind of be out there and see somebody at the bus stop. And I'd walk up sometimes and I'd say, hey, I'll give you $5 for five minutes. And I would just sit there and talk with them just about life and about, uh, you know, things that were going on and and, uh, and do my best to kind of share the good news with them. I think it's important that, um, 
you know, people kind of understand that uh, people care about them. And uh, it was important to me to do that. And uh, I was kind of compelled to do a lot of that because of uh, listening to DC talk. And so I share that with you, you know, in hopes that uh, perhaps it'll embolden you to do some other things. But, um, but here's the, the top 10 DC talk list, according to me. So, and I'll be honest with you, I wasn't a huge fan of all the rap stuff. The first three albums are primarily rap albums. Uh, the third album, I guess, Free at Last, is when things begin to change a little bit. And then they signed a major record deal for album four, and the production value of, the, of their musical career really changed. And so we'll go back to number 10 is one of the, the songs that really began to kind of change the direction of DC Talk, and it's a song called The Hard Way. You know, some people got to learn the hard way, and, and the, he, it's really more autobiographical. You know, it's like you talk about all these other people, but it's really us. You know, many of us have to kind of learn, you know, the hard way. And I was one of those people, too. You know, when, when I got clean and sober, I share with people I wasn't one of those addicts that saw the light. I had to feel the heat. And so this song kind of made sense to me. Number nine, going back a little bit, Love is a Verb. I guess that's really the only true rap song on here. You know, that there's another song that I used to really like, and this is not in any way an indictment on uh, the rest of the, of the catalog, but uh, that, that kind of girl, I think is the name of it, that was one that I thought Toby Mac was a really, did a really good rap piece on that one, but it didn't make the list. Number eight off of the album Supernatural, which is probably an underappreciated studio album from DC Talk, the last studio album. Uh, it's my friend so long, and this was this was a song too that got a lot of airplay back when MTV and people like that played music, and it's uh, basically a message to to a friend, you know, like the fourth member of the band that didn't make it. You know, it's like somebody that sold out and and began to just basically stray from the path a little bit and went and chased uh, the fortune and fame of, of real secular music. And so that's what it's about, my friend, so long. The video is absolutely wild. It is absolutely wild. Number seven, one that is actually a deeper track off of the Jesus Freak album, it's Mind's Eye. And I think it probably should have been a single. I think it's a great track. I think you'll enjoy that one. It's got a really nice beat to it. Number six, one that's a little more introspective. And I mentioned the whole thing about the... Um, you know, five dollars for five minutes. I was working on Plank Road in Baton Rouge, and uh, I always made it a habit of uh, of locking my car. I mean, just because I'm not, I'm not an idiot, you know. It's, I mean, your faith can only take you so far. You, you know, you got to do what you're supposed to do. And uh, one night, I got ready to leave, and um, there was a homeless person in the driver's seat of my car, asleep. I'd never seen this guy before, and I was pretty well acquainted with a lot of the homeless people that li lived in the area that depended on public transportation and things of that nature. I'd never seen this guy before, and my initial thought was I wanted to call the police. And uh, I got him out, and he basically begged me not to. And he kind of explained to me some of the things he was going through, and I, and I, and I told him no, I'm not going to call the police. And we just sat and visited for a while, and I remembered the look that he gave me. I remember the, the relief in his eyes when I told him I wasn't going to call the police and that, and I gave him his five bucks. And uh, we just visited for a little while and he left and I got in the car to ride home and I was still kind of shaken by the experience. And I'd never heard the song before, but it came on. And it meant a lot to me. And I always, anytime I hear this song, I think about that homeless guy because he was just so out of place. He just didn't fit the scene. I still don't know where he, where he came from. And then after I talked to him, it's almost like he just completely disappeared never saw him again 
Never crossed paths with the guy again. It was almost like one of those moments It was in my life that was supposed to happen to teach me a little something. But it's a song called The Red Letters. And uh, I get chills even thinking about this and I'm thinking about that moment because at the times in my life, that could have been me. You know, I could be that guy that a lot of people are looking down upon and judging for how they look and how they act and the circumstances they have in life. And um, as the chorus of the Red Letters tells us, is that there is love in the Red Letters. And so I think it's important you know, to show as much love to one another as we can. And, and I, I'm a person, too, that um, I am still very much a work in progress. And, you know, there are a lot of things in life that come along, and I get really been out of shape about it, and I just want to go to war. And there are a lot of times I, I think back to those moments when, um, you know, sometimes, you know, showing grace and mercy and a little bit of civility is the better part of that. So there you go, Red Letters. I don't know that that song is very well known, but it should be. If you don't know DC Talk, go listen to that thing today and think it'll do something for you. I actually broke the rules today and went with a cover for number five. I absolutely love their version of this, and uh, I love the harmonies. Because like, after, after they changed record labels and they got, they got better funding, I guess, I think the quality of the music got a lot better. Not just production value, but I think they got better. Their version of In the Light. I love Michael Tate's part on this one, too. Number four, also off the Jesus Freak album, is What If I Stumble. And uh, it's a good introspective song. You know, it's like we're all, we're all still, you know, born of a fallen nature and we're all going to make mistakes. And it's kind of what that one's about. I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves, we have to, you know, act a certain way and be a certain way. You know, it's almost like we have to, you know, it's almost like it's a gift that we're not really accepting. We think we can earn it through works and that's just not the reality of life. Uh, number three, this was their first, this was probably their biggest commercial hit on the radio. I want to say it was number 16. I think I saw, if I remember this correctly from my numbers and my research, number 16 on the Billboard 200 chart, and it's Between You and Me, and it was on uh, Top 40 Radio everywhere, just Between You and Me, I Got Something to Say, and um, I think a lot of people mistook that to be a relationship song, and it wasn't. It's uh, very much a religious song. So the number two song on my list is probably number one on most people's list. And I could have easily gone with this one at number one, um, but there's a song that's number one that means a little more to me. But it's a title track off the Jesus Freak album. It's a really in-your-face, unabashed, this is who I am, this is what I believe, and um, I'm not going to be ashamed of it. You know, what will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus Freak? That's the chorus of that song. And that song really changed the trajectory of their career i think there were a lot of people before that just kind of saw them as a little bit of a novelty act and i think that album is the best dc talk album but i think also to that song really empowered people you know to feel like you know what it's it's kind of okay to, to kind of wear your faith on your sleeve and so that's number two for me and uh it's one it's a rock and tune man it really gets you going you know, it's one of those things, too. It's like you go back and listen to that earlier stuff, like off New Thing and all that stuff. It's just, it's it's quite the departure. And I really think towards the end of the DC Talk experience, you know, Kevin's musical influence became a bigger part of DC Talk. And I think that's where that, that one really kind of came from. Uh, Kevin was actually not originally in the group. It was Michael and and um, and Toby because they were both rap fans. And... Uh, Kevin was in a a Christian rock band, and then he left and moved in with Michael Tate, and, and then the rest is history. But number one for me is uh, a song called Consume Me. You consume me, 
is the, the, the chorus there. But I love the video, and I, I just love the, the peaceful nature of this song. It's, uh, there are a lot of songs out there that you, know, you hear, and it's like, even if you don't know the words, it just, seem, it just seems so familiar to you. And that's, that's the one for me for the DC Talk catalog is when I hear Consume Me, it just kind of reminds me too that there's, a, there's something bigger out there than, than just, you know, life and paying mortgages and raising kids and all that sort of stuff. And, it's, you know, just living to pay bills. There's a lot more to it than that. And so, uh, again, we like to do a wide variety of tunes on this show. And this DC Talk thing was very, very important and special to me. And Little surprised that I hadn't done it, and I told you guys too on Wednesday that we're gonna we're gonna rock in a different direction on Wednesday. It's gonna be, let, let's just say it's very much a secular band uh, come Wednesday. But I wanted to get this one out just because I think there are a lot of people I heard listen to the show that maybe were fans of DC Talk, and Ed said, "Hey, let's do it." And I said, "You know what, Ed? I, I can absolutely do a top ten DC Talk list with my eyes closed." But to me, the best two albums of their catalog are the last two. Now, they've done a couple of reunion shows every now and again, and they keep talking about maybe getting back together and doing a tour. They were supposed to tour uh, into 2020, and then, you know, the world changed. They did a couple of cruise things, I guess, in 17 and 18, and then they would say, hey, the fans were so excited about it. Let's get back together and do some things. They haven't done that. Now, I want to share with you guys, too, a lot there are a lot of huge Toby Mac fans out there. I mean, huge, and that you know that debut solo album Momentum is uh, something special. I mean, it really, really is. But and I like the Kevin the K Max first album. To me, the best two solo albums are the Michael Tate solo albums. You know, he put the band together, called him Tate before he joined joined Newsboys, and uh, Tate Empty and then Lose This Life. They're both great. Um, I think Alibis is probably my favorite track off that first album and then uh, Lose This Life. But, uh, you know, Michael Tate is a different guy. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that, um, you know, even politically he gets involved with a lot of things. A lot of people should say that he shouldn't, but, but he does. And I, I respect it. I think DC Talk is one of the most influential uh, contemporary Christian artists of all time and uh, many people have said that they are the most successful overtly Christian band in the history of music and there's probably you know some um, some truth to that I remember when David and the Giants had a hit in the late 80s I think they were the first contemporary Christian band to actually have a hit on the top 40 radio charts and then DC Talk took things to a different level and there are a lot of people out there you know Amy Grant's had some success and there are a lot of these people too that you know, they write things that can be considered secular, of course, that uh, that get radio play. And, I, and that's where I think kind of what happens with DC Talk is, you know, they became more of a you know, serious music act and it enabled them to share their message with a, a broader audience. And there are a lot of people, I think, that kind of get hamstrung into, uh, you know, into labels and things like that. And I think DC Talk was just above those things. I think they were a band that, <clears throat> that everybody could enjoy, no matter your religious affiliation. And no matter your, your feelings about this sort of stuff. And so enjoy DC Talk today. I have enjoyed listening to them the last couple of days and kind of preparing, you know, for this list. And uh, it's kind of a trip down memory lane in many respects. You go back and listen to all that stuff. And it's like, man, I remember where I was when this song meant so much to me. And I remember this person or that person or, or this experience. And that's the best thing about music is it's like a time machine. It can take you to different points in your life. And, you know, and I mentioned the whole thing about, uh, you know, the secular appeal. 
it's like when the band Flyleaf came out, and I don't know if you know much about Flyleaf, Lacey Sturm, who is the scream queen. I love Lacey Sturm. I absolutely love her. She is a phenomenal artist, and her work with Flyleaf was incredible. And um, I've read some people's comments online that are very, very sad. They said, I love this song until I found out it was about God. And I think that says a lot about where we are as a society, that we can't appreciate someone's talent because we don't always appreciate their message. And I think when people get out and share who they really are, it should be applauded, even if I don't agree with, uh, you know, their lifestyle. It's just, you know, it's, it's, I'm a live and let live person, but it's really kind of sad that, you know, that I'd read it some, the song um, All Around Me from Flyleaf. People said, I used to love this until I found out that it was a Christian song. And I think you're exactly the person that needs to be listening to that. But anyway, I don't want to preach. We're not going to pass around an offering plate or anything. I'm not going to hum just as I am or anything like that. We're not going to have an altar call. But uh, I just wanted to share that today, a little bit more of me. But also, too, Ed, thanks so much for the suggestion. If you guys have an idea for the top ten list, reach out let me know. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Hit me up let me know. I may just use your list. And we've got a bunch in reserve, and we try to work through those things as we go. But we can always use fresh ideas, and this is one from Ed that – wasn't on the list. Now it is. Now it is. And I've had some people reach out and say, hey, Steve, if you like these, this band, you should listen to this band. And I love learning new bands. And I love learning what you guys are into, too. Because, like, there are so many bands out there that, uh, you know, because it's so easy to make a record these days, it's kind of watered down at times. And so when you guys hear something great and you share it with me, I consider it an honor and a favor Somebody shared with me, I guess it's my friend Blake D. shared with me a while back, a band called the Georgia Thunderbolts. And I absolutely dig those guys. They've got an EP that is crazy. And then somebody hit me up on Twitter and said, hey, the new Georgia Thunderbolts, uh, first, their debut album is coming out. Are you with it? And I absolutely am. And I want to thank Blake for turning me on to him. Uh, Blake is our friend, too. You know, Blake has been uh, a Boneyard listener for a while, and I've met Blake. He and I went to Blackstone Cherry Show together um, about a year or so ago if not longer, I guess. And, uh, you know, he was uh, with Blacktop Ridge playing drums for them and uh, is, is back home, uh, not chasing that anymore, but uh, still playing some drums around here. So if you hear that Blake is sitting in with somebody, I know he played at Romy's Grocery, I think, here this past weekend. Uh, get out and go support him. He's also a bulldog, too, uh, and a great drummer. So there you go. There's your top ten list. Next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookmart.net, longtime sponsors of the show. I was down there recently and had a chance to go visit with them, and our friend Pam Minyard is now working there, which is wonderful. I think she is a perfect fit for the Campus Bookmart crew. Love everybody down there. Um, there's just so many good people that work there. You know, Stan Man, uh, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, uh, everybody down in the basement holding it down. It's just there's such a good group there. And that's one of the things that I love is doing business with people where there is like, um, you know, there's some consistency, you know, with a level of service. I know what I'm going to get when I go on Campus Bookmart. I know what I'm going to get. I know that I'm going to get a great product at a great price. I'm going to get great service. And you know what? Sometimes in retail, things go wrong. And I've never had a situation. It's been very rare that something's gone wrong, but they fix it immediately. It's not one of these situations. A lot of people, it's like, oh, well, I don't know. You know, no. These guys know what customer service is all about. Go check them out today. If you can't get there, visit them online at campusbookmart.net. And by being a Lawyer Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little cash. We'll give you a promo code. It's BSR. That BSR stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. We've even had people use it on their textbooks. How cool is that, right? So 
that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Canvasbookmark.net, promo code BSR. Let's talk Arkansas. I don't know what's going on. You know, listen, Arkansas's got some great coordinators. They really do. And there are a lot of people that have all this hype about Arkansas. I don't think they're going to be very good. I do think, you know, we've got to go up there and play them at their place. And that there was a time there we had never won a game in Arkansas, in the state of Arkansas. Well, that's changed. You know, and that's, we've won seven of nine against Arkansas. I don't know if you guys remember. Dak Prescott never lost a game to the University of Arkansas, home or away. Probably didn't know that. It's true. Dak Prescott, as a member of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, never suffered defeat against the University of Arkansas. Now, 16 was a bit of an anomaly. You remember, that's the Peter Sermon years. We had absolutely dominated them, and then they come in here, and uh, we don't know how to coach defense, and so they didn't punt the entire game. But it's 58-42. You think you put up 42 points, you win the ball game. When you never get a stop... And they ran the counter tray against us, and we never adjusted to it. They had numbers to the left over and over and over again. You would think at some point we'd adjust. We never did. Then we go up there in 17, Nick Fitzgerald, Reggie Todd, get it going. We went 28-21. Had to come from behind there. And I remember how gleeful the Arkansas media was when uh, they were ahead in that ball game. And, of course, we come back to win the game. Dedrick Thomas with that great diving catch at the pylon with the game winner. And then they came to Starkville in 18, and uh, we beat them and Chad Morris 52-6. to And you remember there were some Arkansas players trying to get the uh, phone numbers or Instagram accounts of, uh, of our cheerleaders. And so that made national news. Hey, it's good work if you can get it, I guess. But 52-6. to And then we go to Fayetteville in 19. And, yeah, there were so many people, too. Like in the beginning of the year, they are like, oh, Arkansas is going to beat Mississippi State. And Joe Moorhead went up there and beat them 54 to 24. And guys, it could have been about 80. I mean, this game was not competitive at all. And Joe showed them mercy. And I don't know what it was. You know, Chad Morris had beaten Joe on the recruiting trail. But for some reason, when they got together, Chad Morris brought out the best in Joe Moorhead. Joe absolutely destroyed Arkansas when he was here. And you say, hey, you know what, the guy won two Egg Bowls and went to two bowl games. Lost them both, but we did. But, man, he absolutely made Arkansas feel like a redheaded stepchild. I mean, it was unbelievable how Joe dominated Arkansas. And I remember walking off that field in Fayetteville that day, and, like, you know, some Mississippi State administrators are like, you know, we win by 30, and Joe didn't even play hard in the fourth. You know, I mean, it was – it was as, it was it was almost like playing Arkansas Tech or something. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Now, last year they beat us 21-14. Now, I'm going to tell you this, too, and I don't care what anybody says in the Arkansas media, we gave the game away last year. We absolutely gave the game away. I'm going to go back and look at that before we get into um, kind of looking ahead to this year. We gave the game away. Now, anybody that was at the game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We gave them the game. Now, it's the first time that K.J. Costello apparently had seen a drop eight. And so it mattered because he looked completely clueless on how to attack that. Now, you can say, well, you know, Steve, the coaching staff's got to get him ready. You know, you know, I think there's also this, you know, we come off the LSU win 
right? We're feeling so great about life. We're thinking, oh, well, you know, we've steamrolled Arkansas the last couple of years. We'll destroy them. So I think we were a little bit overconfident. But KJ absolutely struggles in this ball game. And you may recall the very first pick of the game, the very first play, scoring play, is we throw a pick six to Greg Brooks, former Mississippi State commitment, Greg Brooks, and we basically just we might as well just walk out there and hand him the football. It was horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. But it's seven nothing, you think, okay, we're okay. You know, first drive of the game, we come out there. We'll, com- you know, we'll complete 12, and then we'll complete the 13, and we- we- Colin runs for seven. And this is a game, too, even when Colin got the concussion, had to come out of the game. And then so we're in Arkansas territory, and it's first and 10 at their 34. We're about to go in and score. And then we throw a pick six. So we get the ball back, and what do we do? We, um, we, dri- we drive down again, right? So – you know, Dylan runs for three, and we're complete to Wally for 16. We come back to Dylan for four. Uh, then we go to Wally, and then we go for it on fourth and three at the Arkansas 49. And a lot of people at the time were thinking, oh, my goodness, why are we doing this? Well, we, we go for it, and Dylan gets it for us because we were there to win, right? And so then, uh, you know, then we're complete, complete, complete. Next thing you know, it's a fourth and two again. We go for it again. Dylan Johnson goes for nine yards. We're basically bullying these guys. Then we're complete to Wally. Marks gets a couple nice gains. And then, you know, first and 15 there at the Arkansas 17. And then we hit Javante Payton for the touchdown. It's a 7-7 ball game. I think at this point everybody's like, hey, you know what? We're good. We're good. We had two drives. We went down the field like a knife through butter. And outside of one pit, one the pick there, it should be it should have been a fourteen nothing ball game. They couldn't stop us. Arkansas's very first drive, they go three and out. We're thinking, okay, we're good. We got momentum here. Let's get ready to go. We can pick up a first down, and the next thing you know, we get out there near mid near midfield, and um, you know, just we couldn't do anything with it. We get up a big sack on second and five. We're at the uh, the Arkansas forty, I guess, and. Um, we get sacked and get the intentional grounding call, puts us behind the chains. We end up having to punt, downed it inside the 10. So, again, we're thinking, ah, you know, we're okay here. We're all right. We'll find a way. Arkansas puts together a, a pretty good drive here, and uh, we force a turnover. You know, they get inside. It's first and goal, and they're running behind Rakeem Boyd, and the defense forces a fumble. K.J. Jefferson on fourth and goal, they decided to go for it rather than kick the field goal. Marquis Spencer forces the fumble. K.J. Jefferson picks it up. Or, excuse me, London Craft picks it up at the three. So, again, they get their first sustained drive, but it's all nickel and dime stuff. I mean, they weren't getting big chunk plays or anything. They had the one big play, I guess, to Devion Warren there. But, yeah, they get inside there, and we bow up and defensively make a stop. And again, we're thinking, we're okay. We're okay. And then the next thing you know, KJ just con- continues to disintegrate right before our eyes. We do get a first down on a second drive, and then it's like nothing happens the rest of the way. It's like we just couldn't figure it out. Arkansas comes right back their next drive and scores to take a 14-7 lead. We go three and out. And, and again, offensive line play wasn't very good. And at this point, we're all kind of wondering, okay, what's going on with Colin Hill, right? 
defensively, we played pretty well the next drive. They, they do hit the big uh, pass to Devion Warren again, but, um, you know, we, we find a way to get out of it. We get, the, uh, get a punt from them, a chance to go down and get a drive, and we start piecing some things together, right? We'll complete to Dylan for 10, Malik Heath for 12. We'll get out near midfield, and then we throw a pick. Then we throw a pick. Arkansas then uh, runs the clock out uh, in a punt, I guess. And um, defense, again, played well for us there. And so we're down 14-7 at the half, and you look at this and you think, you know, this game is closer than it should be. And to give Arkansas some credit, they did a really good job, you know, figuring some things out there in that second quarter. Well, that first drive of the second half, they came right down there and basically just nickel and dimed us to death and went right into the end zone to score to make it a 21-7 ball game. And at this point, Collins not in there. <laughs> KJ's being ineffective, and it's just like, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to figure this thing out? You know, well, we got to fight from behind here, and we got to get some stops. We put together a really good drive here and um, drive right down the field, and then Dylan Johnson scores. You know, and again, it's a fourth and goal. I mean, fourth and one at the six, and he scores – it's a 21-14 game, and again, we're thinking, okay, we're good. We just need to get a stop. We just need to get a stop. Well, we get a stop. They give uh, not three and out, but uh, pretty short drive there. They get one first down, and they punt it. And then, uh, you know, we got it our own 23. And then, you know, we're going to have the ball to open the fourth there within a score. And we're driving down there. We get down inside Arkansas territory, and then what do we do? We throw another pick. Another pick, Joe Fauche, his second one of the day. There's your time score going back the other way. A good job again by the defense to kind of keep us in the ball game. KJ gets it back, and it's a three and out. We get two yards on the drive. Absolutely horrendous. All right, so then <laughs> craziness ensues. Arkansas gets it back. We sack. Uh, we sack Arkansas for two yards, and then they run Devion Warren on the little end-around play, and then we knock it loose. Aaron Brule recovers at their 21. Okay, here it is. Okay, good. This is our chance to get back in there and tie it, and we feel like if we could ever get even, we're good. Well, that's not what happens. Dylan Johnson runs for a yard, then we're complete to DJ to make it a third and two. We run DJ, get blown up. And then we throw a bad pass at the Arkansas 13 to Cameron Gardner, and it's incomplete. Maybe we kick, maybe we should have kicked a field goal there. I don't know. But we blew it. We had it in their red zone basically the entire drive and couldn't cash it in. KJ just couldn't get it done. Again, the defense stands tall. You know, we get a three and out. We get the ball out to 50, and then Jaden breaks it for 20. Now we're at the Arkansas 30. Okay, here we go, right? Well, we start out with a pre-snap penalty. Then we're complete, and we're complete, and we're complete on third down, and now we're all the way down to the Arkansas 15. Let's go, right? Fix and tie this thing up. Marks runs for three, then we're incomplete to Peyton. We run for five to bring up a fourth and two. We bring uh, Marks off right side. They blow us up for loss of two. We don't score again. Back-to-back trips to the Arkansas red zone, we don't score. Defense stands tall again. We get a three and out. We get the ball. Jaden Wally recovered it, and uh, we, we fumble, and they recovered the fumble. They got a chance to put us away. They don't. 
We end up getting the ball back with 2.10 to go. Uh, excuse me, less than a minute to go. And we, don't, and we hit a couple passes down the field, and that's the end of the game. And so I, I say all that to say this is like we didn't play football. It's like you look at all these opportunities and you look, okay, uh, defensively we played outstanding. You give up 14 points in an SEC game, you got a good chance to win. But when you throw a pick six and you have two promising drives ended by interceptions, both of them bad reads, you have a fumble on a punt return, you get two opportunities, you get turnovers, and you're inside their 30-yard line and you, don't, and you come up with zero points, you're going to lose the ball game. It's as simple as that, and we did. But we blew it. It wasn't like Arkansas came in here and beat us. We blew it. Now, looking at these numbers, too, as bad as KJ's day was, 313. Flippy Franks, 212. 212. When you look at this stuff, it just kind of blows your mind a little bit. You begin to ask yourself, okay, we had 24 first downs. They had 17. We ran for 87 yards. And you say, oh, that's not enough, Steve. Uh, excuse me. I'm incorrect there. We ran for 100 yards. No, I guess the net. The net, the net was 87 they're net 63 on 37 attempts. We held them 1.7 yards per carry. So we outrush them, we outpass them. We just don't outscore them. We put up 400 yards of offense, they put up 275. And it kind of helps when you get a pick six there. So, you know, again, as bad as it was, it, you know, we still should have won a game. So let's look ahead to Arkansas this year. No graduate transfer or quarterback. It's the K.J. Jefferson time. Now, I do think that Kendall Bryles will be able to do some interesting things with him, especially with his own read stuff. K.J. is a guy from North Pinole High School. Mississippi State recruited him. He didn't want to be part of a two-quarterback class. He went to Arkansas, and they did a great job recruiting him. They're going to have five starting offensive linemen that will be back, and that's Sam Pittman's pedigree. A lot of people tell me he's a better O-line recruiter than he is a coach. But he does a good job developing guys, but he's not, you know, a guy that can take, you know, maybe, you know, a two- and three-star junkyard dog type and put him in the National Football League. He's a guy that, you know, does a really good job in the living room and good for Sam. But it's going to be a different team, you know, with KJ. And I'm eager to see what Brawls does with him because, you know, passing is not really his forte. You know, he's a guy in many – it kind of reminds me a little bit of a bigger version of Chris Ralph. And they went three and seven last year. Three and seven. Now, COVID got him a lot last year. Even Sam Pittman missed some time. But they weren't a great team last year. And uh, even with Felipe Franks, it's one of those things that kind of blows your mind how we lost this ball game. Now, running football, they ought to be pretty good. Should be. Uh, Traylon Smith last year was their leading guy, 710 yards, five touchdowns. Um, they got some dudes. I mean, they should be able to go, you know. Um, yeah, so we'll see. Because I think they're going to be a lot closer to what Dan Mullen once was than what Chad Morris wanted to be. And I don't necessarily mean that because of the results, but I mean just kind of offensively. I don't think they're going to throw it around quite as much. I think they're going to run a lot of zone read stuff. They're going to kind of lull you to sleep a little bit and try to pound you inside. It'll be interesting to see kind of how people uh, defense them. KJ's a load too, man. What, 6'4", 235 pounds, big guy. Now here's the deal. There's not a lot around him um, as far as depth. So we'll see how things go. You know, they had a couple of guys hit the portal last year. Uh, Mike Woods, their best receiver last year, in my mind, 
um, is gone. Gone to Oklahoma. They replace him uh, with uh, Jacqueline Crawford from Oklahoma. We'll see how that goes. And a lot of people talk about Hudson Henry. He's not in any way similar to his brother Hunter. They may have the same parents, but uh, not the same level of player. Trey Knox, really good player for them too. But we'll see. You know, Devion Warren uh, was a guy that made some plays against us. You know, which is kind of average against the rest of the league. You know, so we'll see. Defensively, I'm a Barry Odom fan. I told you guys that before. You know, he was actually a candidate for the Mississippi State job. I don't know if you knew that. He was a guy that, you know, that was uh, mentioned. I don't know if it was on his side, you know, on our side, but he was a guy when they were getting ready to get out of there at Missouri that um, his name was mentioned to me. So Odom did a great job last year putting a system together, but they really wore down over the end of the year. That's one of those things you look at in hindsight. You begin to kind of wonder, you know, what they're going to have. Uh, Grant Morgan and Bumper Pool, who probably has the best name of all college football, are back. Those guys can play a little bit. You know, they've got a secondary that uh, it probably is going to be one of the better secondaries in the league. You know, we'll kind of see how things progress with them. Um, maybe not so much up front, but we'll see. You know, we'll see how things progress with them. You know, looking at Arkansas, too, let me look at their football schedule here from last year and this year because I think it's important. Because it's amazing to me, you know, we, we go four and seven last year and we're absolute trash. And then, uh, you know, Kentucky and Arkansas don't do much either and everybody loves them. You know, I don't, under, I don't understand that at all. But whatever. You know, that's the thing. It's almost like these uh, pregame, preseason lists don't mean anything because they don't. I know other people are like, oh, my gosh, we don't get any respect. Well, you know, I'd rather just win the games. You know, it didn't really matter to me what the prognosticators say, you know. I mean, how many people had us winning the College World Series last year? All right, so looking at last year's schedule for them, again, it's it's a 10-game SEC schedule like the rest of us. You know, it's uh, it's not what it all that you know a lot of people expect it to be. I guess in a, in a year one, and they actually played Georgia really well early on. They lose 37-10. Of course, they come down here and we gift them a ball game. Well, then they go to Auburn, and if you remember, they should have beat Auburn. You know, they had that Bo Nix thing that was uh, you know the illegal pass, and then they basically gifted Auburn the game, allowed them to attempt a field goal. They they kick and make it 30-28. I think through the first three weeks, I think we all thought, you know what? Sam's got these guys ready to play. From a culture standpoint, he's kind of turned the corner with them. He's made them believe they can win. Well, then they win in Fayetteville against Ole Miss, 33-28. I don't know if anybody really expected that. I can't remember if I picked that or not. But, you know, Arkansas has done a good job against Ole Miss in Arkansas. Not so much in Oxford, but they have found a way to win that game. Look at the box score, too, real quickly from that game. Seems like I remember Matt Corral having a really, really tough day up there. Let's see here. Yeah, yeah. 20 of 38, a couple touchdowns, took a couple of sacks. Also threw some picks, too. Had a fumble. Wasn't a great day. Wasn't a great day. Uh, then they lose at A&M 42-31, a competitive game. Then they beat Tennessee. They, they get absolutely destroyed at Florida 63-35. Uh, 
They lose LSU 27-24, and that was a big win for uh, for Ed Orgeron and his group back then because they were really struggling. Then they lose at Mizzou 50-48. If you remember, if if I'm not mistaken, both teams scored like in the last two minutes. And then they lose to Alabama 52-3. And then they were supposed to play in the – I guess it's a Texas Bowl against TCU, and that ends up being canceled. So despite the fact they had a 3-7 record, you know, there just weren't many games you look at in hindsight and say, oh, they were just completely out of it. I mean, outside of Alabama and Florida, teams really struggled to really put them out, to knock them out. So they're going to play hard. I just don't know if they have the talent. A lot of people want to believe they do. Now, they will open up with Rice. That's a win. Then they host Texas. And I don't – you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pick that as we get a little bit closer. I don't really know what to expect in that ball game. You know, what, what's going to happen? you know, with Texas this year. Now, you would think from a talent standpoint, Texas should be able to out-athlete Arkansas. But we'll see. That game's in Fayetteville. I suspect that'll be a huge crowd, too. Then they'll get Georgia Southern. But, let you know, for all times, let's call it, to be conservative, let's call that a win for Texas. Just because I think Texas, on paper, should be the better team. And then, and let's say Arkansas beats Georgia Southern. So, 2-1 and one, uh, heading to, to – uh, Arlington to take on A&M. That's been a really fun game there in Jerry World. But I think A&M takes that, makes them 2-2. Two and two. Then they're on the road at Georgia. That's a loss, 2-3. and three. Then they're on the road at Ole Miss. I think that's a loss, too. I think Matt Corral will really bear down and be ready to go. That's 2-4. and four. They host Auburn, and who knows what to expect from Auburn this year. Who knows? Let's give Arkansas the win at home. That's three. Then they beat UAB. Arkansas Pine Bluff. Then this, the last four games will, will, will define their season. They probably got to go at least two and two, and you know, they've got to go two LSU and two Alabama. That's tough. So that game at home against us and then the game at the end of the year against Missouri, those are games they got to win. And I'll be honest with you, I'm going to go ahead and give you a hot take now. Arkansas and my – they're going to lose the last four games. And they're going to lose all four of them. They're going to lose the state at LSU, at Alabama, and then they're going to limp – back home for senior day. And Missouri, who I think will be potentially playing for a decent bowl spot, will get them. I may regret saying that later on, you know, because you never know health-wise how things are going to look. I think Arkansas is going to struggle this year. Now, I, I, I don't think they're going to run away from anybody. You know, I don't think they're going to be scared to play. I expect those guys to compete. I think it's all going to boil down to can K.J. Jefferson be the guy? It's that simple. And there are, you know, there are a lot of people that recruited him. And, again, Arkansas did a great job getting him. But it all boils down to him. You know, defensively, that you know, they were not a great defense last year, even though schematically they were pretty good. And, really, Barry Odom is the one that kind of turned our season around negatively. You know, it's just like once they put drop eight and they saw how we struggled, you know, that's pretty much all we saw the rest of the year. So, they got great coordinators. They got, you know, good recruiters on staff. So, but I still feel like in many respects, Sam was kind of a stopgap guy. Now, you know, obviously, you know, nobody can really judge Harsley for last year, but I really thought those guys played hard for him. They'll play hard for him again this year. I just don't know if they have the talent to really compete. And I think over the course of the season, I think depth is going to be a real issue for you. So that's how I see Arkansas. And I look forward to seeing those guys. Uh, play here in the weeks to come. I, I really think that Arkansas is a team that uh, that's a game we need to find. A, we got to find a way to win that thing. We really do. I think Zach Arnett will have a scheme ready to go. 
because you know, I, you know, you got to think the three three five. You know, when we ran it with Joe Lee, you know, we were going up against a lot of fullbacks and two tight sets, and we just kind of out-athleted people because we had more speed on the field. Well, since people have gone to the spread, you know, Rocky Long kind of innovated the scheme to kind of make it more competitive against these spread offenses. And so, yeah, I think Zach Arnett will be 100% prepared to go when we play Arkansas. Absolutely. Without question. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that we'll be ready to go defensively. Now, where will we be offensively? Because you know we're going to see a drop eight against them, so which probably means a lower scoring game. So it's going to may boil down to turnovers. But, uh, again, we've got a lot of football to play between now and then. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I love the place. You will too. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, Portico is where I would move just because of the convenience to be so close to campus. And you're on the back side of campus, you know, so you're on the quiet side. You know, you're out there by neighborhood market. It's very easy to get to. You come off of 82 on the 12, like going towards campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. That'll take you across Old West Point Road, and boom, there's Portico. Great place. Great, great, great place to live. You get a two-bedroom, two-bath house, four-bedroom, four-bath house. All the amenities you're looking for. Got that great walking trail out there. It's an exciting time, but also, too, it's just, you know, being that close to campus makes life so much easier. And if you're a Bulldog fan, you think, you know what, it'd be so great to be able to live in Starkville and then be able to go to all the games at Duty Noble Field. Well, how easy is that? It's a mile away. You know, if you're looking for your game day retreat and so, say, you know what, we just want a place up there that we can meet with our family, maybe it's an investment property for you for Airbnb. How neat is it to be 1.1 miles away from campus? It's wonderful. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call. Brooks is part of the development group that has brought this wonderful residential development to Starkville. Brooks will answer all your questions. And I've had some of you guys reach out and say, you know what, Steve, we thought about retiring in Starkville. We want to be close. We don't want to be, you know, too close to being all the hustle and bustle. Portico is absolutely the way to go. Give Brooks a call today. He'll fill you in. 601-416-8075. 601-416-8075. You know, Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog, is a guy that loves Starkville, loves Mississippi State. He'll do you right. Again, do business with Bulldogs whenever you can. All right, I have enjoyed doing this last segment of the show. You know, we changed it up. I like to learn more about Mississippi State Athletics history. I like to share that information with you. And so what I'm about to talk about today is a gentleman that I don't know that I've ever done any research on before today. Just don't think I ever have. I mean, it's like you begin to think about, you know, the expanses of our athletic tradition, and there's a lot of names out there, a lot of names we kind of take for granted. But this is one that I've never, ever, 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 ever done any research on, and it's a fascinating story. So we're going today with, and I had to look up even how to pronounce the name, right? <laughs> but it's Chuck Jalatka out of Chicago, Illinois. So Chuck played at Mississippi State, and had a remarkable life thereafter. And, and you know, it's, Mississippi State obviously is a great place that can lead you to a lot of great things. But, uh, you know, Chuck was a guy – I don't know how we got to Mississippi State. I've researched that and haven't been able to find any stories, even in obituaries and things like that. But, um, but he was born in Chicago January 28, 1914. 
found his way to Mississippi State, and then was the first Bulldog drafted in the National Football League draft. Think about that for a second. That's a pretty nice accomplishment, right? So the NFL draft began in 1936. There was not a player taken from any Mississippi school in the 1936 draft. In 1937, Mississippi State and Ole Miss both had their very first players selected. Ole Miss had Jim Buster Poole from Gloucester, Mississippi. He was taken uh, in the seventh round by the New York Giants, and Chuck was taken in the tenth round by the Giants. So how ironic is it that both players from Mississippi, uh, from Mississippi schools, end up with the Giants? And uh, both play to end. You know, it's interesting, too, that how all this kind of kind of comes to be. But so Chuck played four years with the Giants, and then World War II became a very serious thing. And so after the 1940 season, Chuck enters the military and goes and fights in World War II. I've tried to look and see, you know, if it was a draft situation, and and I I don't, based on what I've learned about the draft, I think he was actually, uh, because of the fact of his age, it was probably a voluntary enlistment, which makes it even all the more honorable. But he, um, what's interesting, too, is he married when he was in New York, you know, of course, being a New York giant was, you know, the biggest thing in the world uh, back in, in New Jersey and places like that. But he married a lady by the name of Lorraine Foland, who was originally from Kansas. And so she moved to New York City as a child and grew up and married Chuck. And she was a huge New York Giants fan. So yeah, it's very you know fitting that she married a giant. And then after the war ended, they moved back to his native Chicago And she attended the Art Institute of Chicago and became an artist and was fairly acclaimed. And then eventually they moved back, uh, you know, to to New Jersey, uh, if my research is correct. But I think it's interesting, too, that, you know, Chuck is a guy, too, that um, shows up in Mississippi State from Chicago and then ends up playing with the New York Giants, believed to have volunteered for military service, and then has this incredible life afterwards. It's incredible to think about the people that have crossed our path a little bit. And, and then, you know, he ends up, I'm, I'm going to read you to some of the things that I found too. You know, he was part, okay, he was part of the 1938 NFL National League Championship for the Giants. So he won, obviously had some success there uh, in pro football, but before turning pro, this is from his obituary, he played for Mississippi State University where he graduated in 1937. He was a member of the NFL Alumni Association and the M State Mississippi State M Club. After his football days, Mr. Galatga uh, was a, and they misspelled his name, unfortunately, was a civil engineer with Sergeant and Lundy Engineers in Chicago, retired after 30 years with the company. How many people work for 30 years for the same company? During World War II, he was an Army Air Corps fighter pilot Serving in the Pacific Theater. That's pretty cool, right? And a- achieved the rank of major. Born in Chicago, he lived there and resided in Middleton for three years. And then we you know, kind of get to the, um, the other stuff. But I just think, you know, it's one of those things, too. It's like 
you know, it's like you never know when opportunity is going to come along. And then we end up getting, you know, a fighter pilot guy that won a championship with a Giants that's part of our family and, and you know, don't know anything about him. And happy to hear that he was part of the M Club and still connected to Mississippi State even later in life. But just want to share a little bit with you today because I think it's important, too, that we know our history. And so, Chuck, thanks for your contributions to Mississippi State Athletics. We had some good times, right? You know, it's like I, I think about all these people that have come, you know, maybe when we weren't – maybe we weren't always what we wanted to be. And they came here anyway and they made a contribution, you know, to Mississippi State. And, uh, you know, maybe this is all part of the Raf Sassy deal, you know, but, uh, you know, it looks like those years were, you know, the Raf Sassy years were decent. You know, we had a little trouble there at the end. But um, if you guys don't know Raf Sassy, maybe we'll talk about him one day too. Major Raf Sassy was a guy that uh, – had to leave because of a nervous breakdown. But anyway, so Chuck, thanks again, and I uh, wanted to share that with you guys too. I want to get let you guys know too. This I'm, I'm kind of re- reaching the end of all this book stuff uh, for a while, and uh, eager to get it done. You know, everything is done now. The rat killing stuff I talked about. I got to give it the once over today, and uh, answer a couple questions, and then it'll go to layout, and then it'll be pushed off, and you guys will. Uh, We'll be waiting. And so hopefully this week we'll have the pre-order link. I ask about it all the time. And uh, I'm told, well, they, they had to fix this, fix that. So hopefully this week, I know you guys are eager. because I get messages every day. When can we order? How do we order? I want to get that to you as quickly as we can. And uh, Blooms of Oleander up to number six on the bestseller list in Mississippi. It's interesting that people have so many comments about that list and have no clue what they're talking about. It's not like I'm the only part. Like, let me just run the list down for you here just so you guys know. I just want to share this. It's not just books that are written by Mississippi people or books that were written in Mississippi. Just so you guys know, here's number 10, The Long Slide by Tucker Carlson. It's actually on the same uh, publishing company I'm with. Uh, The World of Wonders, that's by Amy, and I can't pronounce your last name. The Age of Discovery by Becky Hagginson with Mad Creek Books outside of Ohio State. From the River to the Sea, John Sedgwick. Then Blooms of Oleander, number six. Once They Were Wolves by Charlotte uh, McConaughey from uh, Flatiron Books. John Grisham in at number four with Suley. A Place Like Mississippi by W. Ralph Eubanks, Timber Press. When Evil Lived in Laurel by Curtis Wilkie. I've got that book. I haven't read it yet. It's about the Vernon Damer killing. And then Another Kind of Eden by James Lee Burke from Simon & Schuster. So those are the books that are on the list. And so I just think we should share that just to provide a little context here. These are the most books bought in the state of Mississippi during a given week. And it's so funny. That there's always somebody out there. There's always a critic and somebody wanting to discount things. But uh, I know that when Dogpile comes out, uh, there won't be any question about what's number one in the state of Mississippi. It's going to be that book. If you're looking for all the books, you can go to alphadogsbook.com and you can get Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs signed and uh, personalized. If you want Blooms of Oleander, you can get it personalized through Book Martin Cafe here in Starkville. Call them. They'll take your order over the phone. They'll help me come by and sign those. If you don't care about my signature, you just want to read a book, you can go to Amazon.com, Booksamegan.com, BarnesNoble.com, and you can order it. It won't be personalized, but it'll be a book. And also, if, if you're a person that uh, reads on your Kindle or Nook, you can get Blooms of Oleander through there. So there you go. That's everything we got. And, of course, uh, Stark Villain shirts. may have some news coming up on the Stark Villain shirts pretty soon, too. If you're looking for Stark Villain shirts, and every time I wear one, people ask me. It's easy. Go to StarkVillains.com, and you can order those today.
That's going to do it for today. I'll be back with you guys on Wednesday, and we'll talk about what all Mike Leach had to say. We'll look at another Mississippi State opponent and kind of begin to prepare for uh, for game week. And then Friday, next thing you know, we'll get out here on Friday, and we'll talk about Ole Miss a little bit, and then we'll talk about previewing the SEC weekend. Should be a great weekend in store for all of us. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.